Dear kind and loving Father, we thank you for your spirit life. Thank you for your watch, care, your goodness, and your mercies upon us that we can come again to study your word. We pray, dear Lord, that as we study, you will open our eyes that we can see. We have been going through the book of John, and now we are in John chapter 7. I pray that as we study, and others who might be listening in, that they will understand your word. Please, Father, speak through me, that the words will be clear, just as how you gave, gave the disciples the power of speech on the day of Pentecost. I pray that I will have the power to speak for you as we study, so that others can understand, and they too can spread your word so that you can come. You said this gospel of the kingdom will go into all the world. And 10, 20, 30, 100 years ago, it was not even in the mind and heart of men that your word could be spread this way, using computers and people thousands of miles away or just next door or even right here could be seen and listening in on computers. I thank you for your great blessing that you have given to us to use and Father we can hasten you the spreading of your gospel so that you can come. Bless us as we do your will, doing what you told us to do in the book of Matthew, going to all the world and preach. We are telling the good news that Jesus the Messiah has died, rose from the dead and is ministering in heaven soon to be returned to take us home. Thank you for hearing us and blessing us, forgiving us for sins and protecting us. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Last week we did John chapter 5 where Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. This week we are in John chapter 6. And the title of this one is Give Them Food to Eat. John chapter 6 verse 1 through 3. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Here, if you can see on the screen, right where this red arrow is, is Galilee. If you notice, you have the mountain on this side, and on the western side, the land is fairly flat apart from when you're coming up in this ear into Jerusalem. So here we have the Sea of Galilee flowing down to the Jordan all the way down to the Dead Sea. So Jesus is in Galilee. This is Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes it's called the Sea of Tiberias, as we see there in John chapter 6, verse 1. And a great multitude followed him because they held the signs which he did on them that were sick. So notice that Jesus was not just starting his ministry. He was already ministering. He was healing the sick. He was raising the dead, turning water into wine, and many people were following him because of these miracles that he was doing. And if you remember in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came, Nicodemus said, no man can do the things that Jesus was doing unless God was with him. Now Nicodemus just called him a man, but we know Jesus was more than just a man. He was a man, but he was more than just a man. He was the creator incarnated in flesh. He was not using his divinity, but by completely submitting to his father's will, the father 
filled him with the Holy Spirit that he could go about doing miracles. Verse 3, And Jesus went up into the mountain. Again, here's the Sea of Galilee. Here is the mountain. So Jesus was now probably on one of these mountains on this side of the eastern part of Galilee. And there he sat with his disciples. Now we're going to look at some other maps so you can get a better idea. Here is the Sea of Galilee. And here is, over here is a flatter land over in this ear. So over here is flat. And then over here is a mountain. Over in the eastern side is a mountain. So Jesus came over on this side and he went up into the mountain. Now here's another map giving you perspective in relationship to Jerusalem. Here's the Sea of Galilee. This is a Google map. Here's the Jordan flowing all the way down to the Dead Sea. And again, over here now, you can see Jerusalem. Here is the Mediterranean Sea. So this can give you a perspective of where Jesus was. From Galilee to Jerusalem would be about 75, 80 miles. So you can see the distance that Jesus would be walking. Here is Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. So this again gives you an overview of the an idea so when you're reading the Bible you can see and understand and remember the places where Jesus ministered. John chapter 6 verse 4. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. So remember Jesus was baptized in AD 27 in the first 14th day of the seventh month. That's when he was baptized. In John chapter 2, verse 18, we saw that Jesus celebrated the first Passover. So that would have been A.D. 28, the 14th day of the first month. Now the 14th day of the first month would be equivalent to our March, April. So this was six months after he was baptized, he, had, he celebrated the first Passover. Then it's believed, John chapter 5, verse 1, that's where he celebrated the second Passover. So here we are now in John chapter 6 and verse 4, and he's speaking about another Passover. So this would have been the third Passover. So this would now be the about A.D. 30. So remember, he was baptized in A.D. 27, started his ministry. The first Passover, A.D. 30, I mean 28. The second Passover, A.D. 29. Now we are in the third Passover. This is now A.D. 30. In six more months, at the fourth Passover, he was going to be crucified. So the events here we're reading in John chapter 6 is only about six more months before Jesus would have died. Jesus therefore lifted up his eyes, and seeing that a great multitude cometh unto him, said unto Philip. Now who was Philip? Remember, Philip was the one who went and called um, Nathaniel. And when Philip and Nathaniel was coming, in John chapter 1, Jesus said, Behold an Israelite indeed concerning Nathaniel, in whom there is no guile. Now, Nathaniel said, How did you know me? 
And Jesus said, before that Philip called you, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. So remember, Jesus is not asking, and we're going to come to it, he's not asking an unreasonable question. He had done many things that the disciples by this time should have known that God, the power of God, was with him. This is a lesson to us. Many of us have been following Jesus for five, six, ten, twenty, thirty years, and still we're struggling in our belief, just like the disciples. It's time for us to stop struggling in our belief. It's time for us to start believing. So Jesus said unto Philip, verse 5, Whence are we to buy bread that these may eat? Notice what he said in verse 6. And this he said to prove him. He's trying to find out. He's trying to get the disciples to believe. He's not asking trick questions. He's not trying to give them a hard time. It's only six more months to the time when he would die. And he's trying to get them to believe in him. Just as he's trying to get us today to believe in him. Because he's coming is very close. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. Now, you know, again, notice, it's the third Passover here. Here we are at the third Passover. So we started in AD 27, and now we are in AD 30. Where can we get bread? It was not an unreasonable request. They have been with him for two years and six months now. It's time to believe. It's time for us to believe. It's time to stop doubting. We need to believe. The Bible said that without faith, it is impossible to please God. We're always going to come up on impossible circumstances. We're always going to come up on the impossibility. But it's not depending on us to solve the impossible uh, problems. The bigger the problem, the more glory God will receive when he worked the miracle to solve the problem. Our duty is to believe. Again, remember, in John chapter 2, he had turned water into wine. So he, get, he had been given evidence of who he was. He had healed the centurion servant in John chapter 2. And remember, in, verse five, in chapter 5, he had healed the man paralyzed for 38 years. And there were other miracles recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that he did in those two preceding years. So it was not an unreasonable request that he put to Stephen or to Philip. He wanted the disciples to believe. Now, I'm trying to get you here to see what five loaves and two fishes. You know, when the Bible said loaves, in our English language, we think of a loaf of bread. We're thinking of an entire big bread. All the guy had, or the little child had, was what we would say, five fried dumplings and two sardines. All of that 
would fit on one plate. It, it was just the lunch for a lad, a little boy. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There is a lad here, a little child, which had five barley loaves, barley loaves, because the barley came in at the Passover time. And if you remember going back to Gen um, Exodus, when the children of Israel were in Egypt, one of the plague, it mentioned that the barley was not destroyed because they were still in the husk. It can tell you the time period of the plagues in Egypt. So here we have Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. There's a lad here which had five barley loaves and two small fishes. But notice the discouraging statement. But what are they among so many? Remember, and I'm trying to say this for myself. The bigger the impossibility, the bigger the problem, the greater the glory when God solves the problem. And Jesus said, Make the men sit down now. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. You know, if I was there, probably like Philip, probably like Andrew, probably like any of the disciples, I would not had readily believed. Because what can five dumplings and two sardines do if I have 5,000 men beside women and children? So if you had 5,000 men, let's say then that there are 5,000 women. And then let's say that there are 5,000 children. So here we have over 15,000 people. And this person is going to use five dumplings and two sardines to feed those people. Now, we need to remember something here. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be five dollars that need to pay 15,000 people's rent. It could be five dollars that need to pay the school fee for 15000 It doesn't matter what the problem is. We're not speaking of what human beings can do. We're speaking about what a person can do who is fully submitting himself to the power of God. There's nothing impossible for God to do. So it doesn't matter what the, the problem is. And it doesn't matter what we have in our hands. Whatever is in our hands, God can use it. He can use a stick to part the water. He can use raven to deliver food. He can use donkey to speak. He can use a fish to swallow a person. He can turn water into wine. It's not for us to solve the problem. It's for us to bring the problem to the problem solver and he can solve any problem that we have again without faith it is impossible to please him John chapter 6 verse 11 and Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks he gave it to the disciples and the disciples to them that were sat down set down and likewise of the fish as many as they would. Now notice something here. Jesus received 
the blessings from the Father, multiplying the fish and the loaves. He took it and he gave it to the disciples. Now, the disciples could have gone and sat down and started eating. But the disciples gave it to the people. And as they gave it to the people, it multiplied. The blessings of God, when we pray, we should not keep it all to ourselves. If we keep it all to ourselves, it will not multiply. In fact, it, will, it won't even be able to satisfy us. But when we receive the blessings from God, our intent is to share it with others so that they too can realize that there's a Father in heaven. As we receive, we give. You know, we're just like the mail carrier or the UPS delivery person. The package is being sent. We now take the package and we deliver it to individuals. As we deliver, it will multiply. If we try to keep it, it's going to spoil. So we have not because we don't ask. And some of us who ask, we ask so we can consume it by ourselves and therefore we don't receive it. That's what James said. But as we ask, if our intent is to spread the gospel or spread the health message or spread the financial message or spread the knowledge, as we spread, God is going to multiply and we will never lack. Verse 12, and when they were Filled, they ate until they were filled. He said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragment that remaineth, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them up, them together, and filled twelve baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, the five dumplings, and two sardines, that's my translation, which remaineth over and above them that had eaten. So five small dumplings and two small fish. That was just a lunch of a lad. When it was sheared and put in the hand of God, it multiplied and it fed over 15,000 people. And there were enough left over that they could take now, have now to take home. So why did Jesus do this? He said that nothing be lost. And I want you to look at the top of the screen. Notice he said Jesus. He gave it to the disciples. The disciples gave it to the people. They all ate. And notice what Jesus said now. Go and share. The gathered food was given to the people. As they carried it home and shared with others, they would repeat Jesus' word and Jesus' miracle thereby spreading the gospel. So, nothing would be lost. Remember the text that, that's in the Bible? God, Jesus said, His word is so powerful that it will not return to Him void. We can share with others. And then we tell those to whom we have shared the word that they should share. It can be the word of God. It can be the blessing of God in any way. As we share and the other people share, it will multiply. And all will have enough. And none will lack. And God's word won't be lost.
Verse 14. These men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, the prophet that should come in the world. Now, that's an incredible statement. That's a fantastic statement. But now, it caused them to want to do something that he did not come into this world to do. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world. So it's not for us to take the miracles and then to try to build mansions on this earth. Whether it's miracles of health, miracles of finance, miracles of knowledge, it's not for us to try to build mansions on this earth. The miracles, they're just for us to tell others so that they can be saved. Because the kingdom will be set upon this world when Jesus comes the second time. Notice what they wanted to do. Verse 15. And when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him, notice, by force. You see, Jesus again did not come to this earth to set up an earthly kingdom. He came to seek and to save the lost. Our duty is not to pray to get blessings from God to set up earthly mansions. Our duty is to get the blessings so that we can use it to help to save others. If we try to do anything else, then we are taking him by force to make him king. He don't want to be king of a sinful world. He wants to be king when all sinners have been saved. So when, they, when he saw that they were going to come by force to make him king, he departed again into a mountain, himself alone, and he went there to pray. But there were certain things that happened before he departed. This same story is in the book of Matthew and also Mark. Look in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Jesus immediately had the disciples get into a boat to cross over to the other side ahead of him, while he sent the crowd away. So when they were coming to take him by force, 5,000 men, what can one person do against 5,000 men? But when he saw what they were going to do, he spoke up with authority. And the authority that he spoke up with, just as when he went to the temple and the people were buying and selling, he took up the card, and with just the raised card, he drove them out. When he stood up with that authority, they stopped. And he sent them away. And the disciples who wanted to set him up as king, he sent them away and said, go to the other side. And then he went into the wilderness, um, in, into the mountain. <coughs> he went into the mountain, excuse me. And he prayed because the reason why he went to pray, I think, the devil was trying to tempt him to become a king. And in order for him to really calm down and get back on track, he went and prayed to his father. And probably asked, Father, take that spirit away. The, the devil is coming to tempt, but my kingdom is not of this world. So that's probably the reason why he went to pray. So notice again, he was on this side of the mountain. He wanted the disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee and come here to Capernaum. Verse 17. They entered into a ship 
and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was now dark. Now when Jesus sent the people sent the people away and told his disciples to go across the lake to Capernaum, it was not dark. But they delayed. They were there waiting for him. That's not what he said. He said, go over to the other side. Now they delayed because they were probably wondering, how is he going to get from over this side of the lake of Galilee back over to Capernaum. That's a long walk. And it would even be harder to swim. So they were waiting until it got dark. But you see, when God tells anyone, any person, to do something, they need to go ahead and do it. We don't have to wait for the other plan. When his word comes, we should do what he tells us to do. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. Remember we said there were mountains on this side. There were mountains on this side, and as the sun set, the land cools down faster than the water. So because the land cooled down faster, the, as the lake is hotter, then the air would tend to rise from the lake up into the cloud. So it would pull, it would pull air, the wind would flow down from the land and then rise. It would flow down from the land and rise. And because of that, you had the, the a storm developed, and it's kind of common that, especially in the warmer times of the year, to have you know storms and the Sea of Galilee. But the disciples were complaining. They were complaining that they should have stayed when Jesus sent them away. They should have stayed, and with the five thousand people, made him king. So because of their complaining and delaying and murmuring. God gave them something to take their mind off that problem. You see, again, if we have a small problem, God tells us to do something, and we keep murmuring and complaining, you know what he will do? He will send a bigger problem so that now our mind come back on him. There's no need for us to go from one problem to another problem to another problem. All we have to do is to do what God tells us to do, and we will have less problem. Verse 18, And the sea arose by reason of the great wind that blew, the wind coming down from the mountain, and then coming on to the, to the Sea of Galilee. So when they had rowed about 25 or 30 furlongs, now how long is a furlong? It takes 8 furlongs to make a mile. So they were there rowing on the sea for about four, almost four miles. And they were actually not going anywhere because of the storm. They saw Jesus. They see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh under the ship. And they were afraid. They were terrified. Here they were on the lake, on the sea, the Sea of Galilee. 
They were in a storm. They were almost to the point of death, rowing, and without, by this point, they probably had given up hope that they would be saved. And when they looked, they saw somebody walking on the water. They thought it was a goat, a ghost. Notice what he said, verse 20. But he said unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Over and over, we find when Jesus shows up, and there's a problem, one of the first things he's trying to say, don't be afraid. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. We don't have to be afraid. You know, we say the human spirit wants to be afraid. The Bible said, perfect love casts out all fear. When we realize the love that God has for us, he sent his son into this world to die for us. We will not be afraid. No matter what. That's why Paul said, in all situations, in any situation that I find myself, that I'm in, I can be contented. Because, that's what Jesus is saying, be not afraid. Then they willingly receive him. When they realize that it was him, they willingly receive him in the ship. And notice, immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. So they were rowing all night, and they're not getting anywhere. But when Jesus is on board the ship, the journey is much shorter. When Jesus is in your life, the life journey is shorter. When Jesus shows up, the problem is solved. We need to keep Jesus with us at all times. The day following, the next day, when the people we stood on the other side of the sea, saw that there was none other boat there, save the one wherein his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. You see, Jesus had sent the disciples away. Remember, they were on the eastern side of the lake of Galilee. The people went away, but notice what they did. The next day, they went back. So they too all night started thinking about it and said, you know what? We should not have left. Let's go back and make him king. But when they went there, he wasn't there. You see, when Jesus sent us on a mission, we can't go back to the starting spot trying to find out what we should do. If we go back to the starting spot, he's not going to be there. When, when God told the children of Israel to leave Egypt and to go over to the promised land, they kept on wanting to go back to Egypt. If you go back to Egypt, if they had gone back to Egypt, you would not have been there. We need to go ahead. We can't go back and expect to find Jesus. So we shouldn't keep starting over and starting over and starting over. So some of us have been starting over for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. It's time to start walking 
ahead. We need to forget the things that are behind and look forward to the higher calling. Verse 25. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, and I'm going to put it in modern English, how did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the bread, the loaves, and were filled. So, this is an interesting statement. He's saying, it's not because they saw the miracles, but it's because they were eating bread. That was a miracle. But the thing is, they, in their mind, they were saying, we're under the Romans. You know, here's a person that can raise the dead. We don't have to have a large army to go and fight the Romans. We don't have to carry food to go and fight in this war. If somebody gets hurt or somebody gets killed, he'll raise them from the dead. And if we run out of food, he will multiply food. So it's still in their mind that they can use him to defeat the Romans, set him up, set him up to be king, and they would be the ruler of the world. But notice, Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not of this world. So it's not for us to take the miracles that God is working in our life to set up kingdom on this earth. We need to say the same thing to ourselves. Some of us, the only reason why we want to be connected with Jesus is because we, need, we want food. We want him to supply just the physical food. But he is more willing to work greater miracles in our life to feed the people with living bread. He wants to give living water. He wants to give living bread. He wants to give the light of life. So we need to change our thinking. And notice what he said in verse 27. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth to everlasting life, to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the Father sealed. The Father sealed him. Remember in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to open the eyes of them that are blind. So it's not just physical eyes. It's the spiritual eyes. It's not just the physical sick. It's those who are being uh, spiritually sick. It's not just the physical dead but those who are also spiritual dead. John chapter 28, And they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Why is it that people are more willing to work than to have faith? Notice what Jesus said in verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God. So, do you want to work? If you want to work, here's a work that God wants us to do. The work of God is that we believe on him whom he hath sent. John chapter uh, 6 verse 30. They said unto him then, Sir, if you don't want us to work, 
then what sign do you, are you willing to show us? What sign shows thou that we may see it and believe? Remember, it's just one day earlier that he had showed them a sign and they were willing to make him king. He had taken five dumplings and two sardines and fed over 15,000 people. And they saw it and wanted to make him king. And one day, the next day, they're asking for a sign. Again, that's the way many of us are today. Jesus, God will work mighty miracles in our lives. And we will thank him, we'll come to church, and we'll give testimony how God did great things for us. And a day or two after that, we'll lose faith. We need to stop losing faith. We need to stop asking for signs. Verse 31, notice what they said. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. You fed 5,000 people? You fed 15,000 people? Well, Moses fed over 600,000 men beside women and children. Our fathers, 600,000 of them, ate manna. Moses gave them this. You need to do something greater than Moses. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. You see, it's sad. We will, read, we will read the Bible today and we will say, look how God used to do great things in the Bible days. And he's not doing great things today. It doesn't matter. If he gives you one slice of bread, it's the same as feeding 5,000 or 15,000 or 600,000 men beside women and children. We should not look at the size of the miracle. We should look at the size of our God. Notice what Jesus said in verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses did not give you that bread from heaven, but it was my Father that give you, give you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and give life. John chapter 6 verse 34. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us that bread. It's sad. They were just like the woman at the well. They did not understand. They were still thinking about literal bread. Remember in John chapter 4 verse 15, the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She wanted physical water so that she would not have to go and get physical water at the well. You know, it's interesting. Notice that many of us today, we don't have to go to a well to get water. We have water right in our house. And yet, we still don't believe that God can give us the water of life. So many of us will get up and we go to the pipe and we turn it on in our bathroom, we turn it on in our kitchen, and we expect water to flow. We believe that the city that we are living in will provide water. And yet, we will not believe that our Heavenly Father will give us living water. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. So notice, notice here, that Jesus is the light. I am the light. 
I am the bread. I am the door. He is everything that we need. I am the bread. Not just the bread that they ate in the, in the wilderness, but he is the bread of life. I am the bread that can give eternal life. I am the light that can show your path to eternity. I am the water that can give you life. I am the door that can open so that you can walk in into eternal life. He is everything that we need. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. You don't have to go from one church to another church to another church seeking the, 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 the life that, of eternity. Once you come to Jesus, you will never hunger. You will never seek for anything else. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Notice he's speaking about bread and yet he's speaking about thirst because he can supply water, he can supply light, he can supply bread, he can supply the door, he can supply anything that any of us need. But I said unto you, verse 36, that he also hath seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh unto me, I will never, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So Jesus, when he came to this earth, he depended on his Father daily, hourly, momently, to show him what to do. He came to do the Father's will. If we decide to do Jesus' will, we, just like Jesus, will have the power to give life, to give bread, to give water, living to the people so that they can live. Verse 39. And this is the Father's will, which has sent me. This is the Father's will, which has sent me. That of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing. You know, sometimes I would go to work. And I would get my paycheck. And sometimes I would have a, a, from the paycheck a $5 or a dollar or 50 cents. And sometimes, I don't even know where I did, what I did with it. Notice what Jesus is saying. That anyone who come to him, he will lose nothing. His eyes can see even the sparrow that falls to the ground. And we are of much more value than sparrows. So if we come to him, he's telling us that we will never be lost but should raise him up again at the last days. The last days. When we die, if we die before Jesus comes the second time, we don't go to heaven right away. We're going to be going to heaven when he comes at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, 
So notice he said in verse 39, this is the Father's will that I lose nothing. And he's repeating it in verse 40 in case we didn't understand it or they didn't hear it. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone who seeth the Son and believe on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up when? At the last days. So if we die before he comes the second time, he will raise us up. This is the Father's will. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. This is the Father's will, that all men be saved. Every human being on this earth can be saved because that's what God wants to, want to happen. But some of us will not believe. So because of that, some will perish. But it is the Father's will that all men be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Father's will. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who had blessed us with all, not some, with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ who is the Messiah according as he hath chosen us in him, in the Messiah, before the foundation of the world. God has selected us even before we were born, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto adoption of children. God has predestined that all men be saved. That's his will. That's his desire. And all of us would be saved if we don't separate ourselves from him. In Romans chapter 8, Paul asks, what can separate us from the love of God? And he lists several things there. And then he said, for I am persuaded that neither life or death our principalities, our power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So nothing can separate us from God except we ourselves. Satan can't separate us from God. Other people can't separate us from God because God has given us to Jesus. And anyone who comes to Jesus Jesus said he will not lose them. The only person, the only thing that can separate us from God is ourselves. Please, don't separate yourself from God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, which is Messiah, both which are in heaven, and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being, notice the word again, predestinated according to the purpose. You will never find in the Bible the word predestined to be lost. You will only find in the Bible that God has predestined that all men be saved. Going back to the book of John, John chapter 6, 
Verse 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? So they didn't believe. So here he is standing among them, and they're saying, We know him. We know who he is. We know his father. We know his mother. We know his brothers. How is he saying that he came down from heaven? But brothers and sisters, Notice there was no need for them to ask that question because they saw all the miracles that they did. At his baptism, the voice of God from heaven said, This is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is the one that was promised from back in Genesis. This is the seed of Abraham. They should have known. And yet look what they're saying. We know his father. We know his mother. We know his brothers. How is he saying that he came down from heaven? Jesus said, Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. None of us can come to Jesus except the Father draw. So if we preach, if we teach, if we have Bible studies, we are not the one who pull people to Jesus. We are not the one who draw people to Jesus. God is just using us as vessels. But the Father himself, remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? The Spirit is like the wind. The wind blows. You cannot tell when the wind is coming and when the, where the wind is going. It's just the same way that the Holy Spirit works. God is working on the hearts of people even before human beings are sent to teach or to preach. So that's what Jesus is saying here. No man come unto, the, unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And notice again, and I will raise him up at the last days. So the circular way of salvation. John chapter 6 verse 34. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Then notice John chapter 14 verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, unto the Father, except through me. So you can't come to Jesus except the Father draw, is drawing you. And you can't go to the Father except you go through, through Jesus. There is no other way. There is no other means of salvation except what you're seeing here. You cannot come to Jesus except you're being drawn by the Father. You cannot go to the Father except you go through Jesus. You know, people today say there are many ways to God. Nope, there's just one way. There's no other name given among men under heaven where they can be saved but the name of Jesus the Messiah. He died because of who he was. Notice John chapter 6 verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father, cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread, not just 
the bread, but the bread of life. Your father did eat manna in the wilderness. They ate physical bread and they are dead. Manna can't give life. You see, they look at the miracle of the manna that came for six days every week. And then on the sixth day, it came in double amount. But remember, every person who ate that manna, they are dead today. Except for Moses, who later was raised from the dead. But everyone who ate that manna, they are dead. But if we eat of the living bread, we will not die. Verse 50. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. We need to eat the living bread. We shouldn't be looking for physical things. We need to be looking for the spiritual things. The living water. The living bread. The living door. I am that living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Verse 52. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You see, just like the others, they didn't understand. Remember Nicodemus chapter 3 verse 4, when Jesus said, Unless a man be born again, he cannot be saved. He's taking it literal. In John chapter 3 verse 4, Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he's old? He was not speaking about going back into your mother's womb and be born. He's speaking about the spiritual birth. Remember the woman at the well? The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She was not thinking of living water. She was thinking of physical water. But Jesus was speaking about living water. So he was not speaking about physical flesh. He was speaking about the spiritual. Remember what the Bible said? The word became flesh. So he's saying you need to eat the word. In the beginning, John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then he said the word became flesh. So when Jesus said, you need to eat living flesh, he's saying you need to eat the word of God. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up again at the last days. Luke chapter 22 verse 15. And he said unto them, With desire I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them. 
saying, this is my body which is shed for you. So when Jesus was there eating the Passover meal with the disciples, the Bible said he took physical bread, unleavened bread, and he's symbolically now is using it now to represent his body. So when he pray on it and bless it, he's saying, when you eat this, it's like eating me. So we today, when we eat what we call, uh, we partake of the communion, that's what we're doing. We're taking the wine, and we're taking the bread, and we're saying that this now symbolically represents Jesus' blood and Jesus' flesh. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup of supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, notice Paul speaking, writing here, and he said, For I receive of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. This doing remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped saying, This is a cup in the New Testament of my blood. This do in remembrance of me. So he was not speaking of eating literal, that they would come and take a knife and cut a part of his body and eat it. He was speaking about eating the word of God. Believing on him that he would die, he would shed his blood, and through his shed blood, they would have eternal life. John chapter 19 verse 34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, for it came out blood and water. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. And they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto death. So how do we overcome? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb of God that was shed for the world. John chapter 6 verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So remember he was over on this side. He came over to this side. He went into the synagogue. The people came. And he's now speaking the next day. The day after he had fed the people. He was in the synagogue teaching. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured, not the twelve, but he had many disciples. Remember, he had seventy that he had sent out, and those who were following him were his disciples. When they heard this, they said, You know, this is a hard saying. We can't Accept this. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? I believe he said this with sadness in his heart. What if he shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Remember, when he died six months later, he rose from the dead and went to heaven. And still, many of them didn't believe. It is the Spirit that quickness. The flesh profit nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit. So notice he's not speaking of literal physical things. He's spiritualizing this and said you need to eat 
the spiritual bread. You need to go and study. Search the scriptures. Verse 64. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus himself, from the beginning, for Jesus himself knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given him of my Father. From that time, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That's sad. It's just six months before now that he would die. This was the third Passover. So it would be yeah, about, about a year, sorry, about a year before he died. At the third Passover, the fourth Passover, he was going to die. And notice, many of his disciples decided that they would follow him no more. Brothers and sisters, I'm praying that we don't decide to turn back to Egypt. You know, the Bible tells us that before Jesus comes the second time, there's going to be a shaking, and many will turn from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirit and doctrine of devils. So there's a type and there's an antitype. Many of the people in Jesus' days stopped believing. Many of the people, bright lights in our days with God. I pray to God that I will not turn back. And I pray to God that you will not turn back. Then said Jesus unto the twelve. No, notice now, he's turning to the core. The twelve who have been with him for now almost three years. Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter. You know, people speak about Peter always speaking up. I'm glad for Peter. I want to speak up like Peter. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? If we turn away today, where are we going to go? Are we going to go back to the churches that's worshiping on Sunday? Are we going to go back to the churches that worshiping on Friday? Are we going to go back to groups that have stopped walking with God? Just like Peter, we should ask, Lord, where shall we go? We believe and are sure that thou art that Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. The living God can give living water and he can give living bread. Verse 70, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? One of you is a devil. If there is a devil in my heart, I should pray and ask God to take out the devil. If there is a devil in any of us heart, Jesus Christ can cast out devils. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So, brothers and sisters, here we are at the end of chapter 6. Notice that God gave living bread. And he introduced to, to the people the living water. He introduced to the people that if they should partake of him, the bread of life, not like the bread that the people ate in the wilderness. Not like the bread that you can go down to Safeway or Costco and purchase. That's not the bread that we should be seeking. We should be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We should seek the living water and the living bread. We should believe in Jesus. We should get from Jesus and give to the multitude. And as we give to the multitude, just like the five loaves, 
and the two fish, it will multiply. We should not seek the things from God to use here on this earth and build up mansions on this earth and seek to set up an earthly kingdom. If we do that, we're going to run in trouble, just like the disciples running in trouble on the Sea of Galilee. When God tells us to do something, we should go right ahead and do it. We should not wait. We should not delay. If we wait, if we delay, we're going to have problems. The storm is going to come. And if you're in a storm this evening, don't give up. Jesus will walk to you on the storm. And he will ask if you want him to get into the boat with you. And if you invite him in the boat, immediately you're going to reach your destination. I pray today that you will invite him into your life. Next week, we will go to chapter 7 of John. Thank you.